0: I know that for many of us, like, we, it's tough. I live in the same world you do, you know? It's, there's a pool out there. It's like gravi- gravity, right? It just, like, pulls you down. But the Lord has called us out from that pool, and it's not easy. And these stories that we're going through, they're real. I mean, this is a real picture into God. Like, this is what he, this is his heart. This is what he looks like. This is who he works through, the kind of people. So I know that some, maybe you've given up on yourself. You've just given up like you're just going through the motions. And when you start hearing some of the characters that God chooses to use to accomplish his plan, you begin to look and say, I don't look so bad. It's a reality. And you're going to see some of those characters today. We walked through uh, last week Jacob and His wrestling for God's blessing, wrestling with God. I hope some of you have done some wrestling with God for his blessing, wrestling to enter into his rest, wrestling to pull yourself away from the pool of the things that just don't please him anymore, that are blocking your relationship to being fully what you've been called to be. So there are 12 of them now, 12 sons of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, wrestles with God, struggles with God, He lived in a land, the scripture says, we're in Genesis chapter 7, we're going to be going through quite a few chapters, a few chapters today, and we're just just focusing on certain parts of those. Can't tell all the stories, by the way, Um, parents, uh, the stories in here we're reading, I would rate them R. We're going to take it down to PG, but it's racy, oh, it's racy. And it's just got reality and it's real people and real stuff and real situations and just real debauchery. And, and you think, and God had this recorded. He said, Moses, write this down. And I'm sure when he was writing, he's You sure you want me to put that down? I think, yeah, I want it all. Just put the unvarnished version. Just put it, it's good. And, yes, exactly. We'll, you'll get it. You may care for what you wish for, but you'll get it. So it says this in Genesis 37, 1 and 2. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, that's his son from his beloved. Remember last week, his sweet boo? He had two women tricked into it by Uncle Laban. And so Leah was the older daughter and kind of he got tricked and deceived into taking her first. And then uh he really wanted the, the young beauty, and so he, he held out and worked 14 years to get beautiful, beautiful Rachel, and that's the one he wanted. And so we're at that place, and Jacob and Leah and Rachel have had children, but uh, Rachel was barren, and so Leah was having the children, and then not until later in years, Rachel was able to have kids. God opened her womb, the scripture says. And she bore two children, one named Joseph, who we're going to read about today, and the second one named Benjamin. And this is really key. All the picture you're going to hear this morning and all these weeks is pointing to something. He's pointing to the cross. He's pointing to the coming Messiah, the Messiah. He's pointing to the one, the offspring, going back to Genesis 3.15 in the garden where God said, and I He will come, an offspring, a seed from the woman, and crush the head of the serpent. He was going to take out evil. And all of this is the love story of God pursuing his people. So we're going to follow some offspring today. We're going to look at it. So Joseph, it says here, he lived in the land. He's a young man of 17. He's tending. So he's next to the youngest child. He's tending the flocks with his brothers the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. And so uh, he's a bit of a tattletale. You know, younger siblings usually are. And uh, he just, and he he ratted them out. And you're going to see that this doesn't play well for him because um, he really starts to tick them off. And you're going to see some real flesh. You're going to see you and me in this. Now Israel, that's, Jacob he loved Joseph more than all the other of his sons you see that there's going to be 11 kids with some father issues coming up here soon okay. because he had been born to him in his old age and he made because he loved him so much he made an ornate robe for him many of you have heard of the Joseph in his technicolor coat and there have been you know movies and plays about this storyline um so he made this ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they, what, hated him. They didn't think best of him. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So here he is. He is the, uh, he, he's, he's brown shoes and a tuxedo. He's just the outcast in his family and It's not his fault. His dad loved him more than any other. And he made this coat. Now, what's the significance of the coat? The the coat that he made him is ornate. It's rainbow in color. It's ornate. It's beautiful. That's the coat that you give to your firstborn, the one who is going to receive your inheritance, the one who will get the birthright. And so he's bypassing Reuben, the firstborn, and he's going all the way down to the firstborn of his sweetheart and the hot one, Rachel. And he is making him the heir. Just put yourself in the position of those other brothers. It's not going to get better for Joseph because God comes to him and gives him some dreams. Let me give you the first dream. This is in Genesis 37, 5 to 7, in case you want to read along. He said Joseph had a dream. He's 17 years old, remember. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream. Can you hear the little kid? Listen to this. This is great. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Isn't that wonderful? Right? Guys? Brothers? clearly meant there was no need for divine interpretation. It clearly meant that he would rise up and they would bow before him as he's telling this dream in his beautiful coat showing that he had stolen the birthright from the oldest. Oh, that's not all. He had another dream and he told it to his brothers. He said, listen, I had another dream and this time I The sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing to me. Now, the sun and the moon, they all knew what that meant. That was mom and dad. Oh, you you have gone too far, brother boy. You have really crossed the line. Now mom and dad are going to bow to you and all of us. Jacob, though skeptical, kept this dream in mind, he said, the same way that Mary, when met by the angel, and Elizabeth had all kept in mind what God had done. The religious system put emphasis back in that day on dreams. It still does, by the way, not here in America, but in the Mideast, in those cultures. Dreams are very significant. And back then, they were so significant that that they were diviners, people that were trained. They had handbooks that we have found in archaeological diggings that show how to how to lessons on how to divine how to divinely interpret a dream. They had people in the palace courts that were dream diviners. They were interpreters of the dream that would come out and go, I don't know if they did anything right, but it was a big deal to them. And even in the Mid East today, I, I read stories on occasion of, of God wanted to get to somebody in a country where where evangelism is not allowed, where Christians are not even permitted, a faith outside of their own is not admitted into their country. And, and those people write, how did you come to know the Lord Jesus? Well, I, w- I had a dream. And one day, I, he came to me, and it, I, he came to Asa Umasai, the Jesus, the Messiah. He came to me and introduced himself that way, and he, and he told me about himself. And he told me to go to this place and meet this person, and he gave me the name, and I did it. And these stories... Are regular. I'm going to tell you, God can get wherever he needs to get, whenever he wants to. He doesn't need permission. He wants to use you and me as messengers, but if we don't do it, he is stepping up, and you're going to see that in this story. Well, Israel, Jacob sent Joseph out to check on his brothers. Now, keep in mind, they hate him, and, and maybe his snitching had something to do with Jacob not trusting his brothers. They were a little bit of a crafty group, and he sent them out, and he He heard of some mischief, maybe, and he's going to journey way out all the way to Dothan. It's about 50, 60 miles. Joseph, go check on your brothers. Now, normally, if it's me and you, and you know that you're going to a place where nobody likes you, and they actually hate you and never say a kind word to you, you know what you're saying? Why don't you send Benjamin? Go send somebody else. But out of obedience to his father, Joseph goes. You will see this thread through it. Judah, so Joseph went to his brothers, found them near Dothan, but they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. No, that's a lot for, I don't know about you. I mean, I have, I know that I have ticked off my brother more than once or twice, but I don't think he has ever conceived in his heart a plan to kill me. This is the heart that they've got. They're going to kill Now, wait a minute. They plotted to kill him. Isn't this the... Aren't these the 12 tribes of Israel? We read further in the book, we know that they're going to be before the throne of God and the 12 elders. Aren't they the chosen ones that are going to create this great nation that God had promised at a covenant through Abraham? Well, the brothers knew Joseph's death would crush their father. And even though they knew it would crush their father, they still said, let's kill him. To end the possibility of any of these dreams coming, we're not bowing to him, so let's just get rid of him. Oh, when they did come upon him, they stripped him of his robe. They took his fancy robe off, and they found an empty cistern, and they threw him undressed into the cistern and waited for the time. It says this in 37, 26, and 28. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Just keep in mind, Judah, this is important. Come, let, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Remember Ishmael? and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So they're not going to kill him. They're just going to sell him. I mean, that's better, right? If your your sibling sold you, that would be pretty acceptable to you, right? Better than killing you. He's a slave now, and you own him. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, it's an interesting thing here, and I'm, I'm not saying you could believe this or not and read into it if you want to, but the more I read the scriptures, the more clear it is to me, and I've said this every week, that there's, God connects all the dots all the way through, and I've said when we started that he is pointing to something. So Judah is the Hebrew name what do you think his greek name is judas there are 12 there's a judas and he has asked to sell him for 20 pieces of silver again connected if you wish and because he's 17 they only got 20 pieces of silver if he had been a year older he would have gotten 30 pieces of silver the price of a slave His brothers despised him because of jealousy, and in the same way, the religious leaders despised Jesus, and they were jealous of him because he drew the crowds. And they purposed in their heart to kill him, and one of the 12 sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And so in the next part, they... They have to concoct this plan to get past daddy when they get home. And so most of you know this story, but I just want to add an element to it. So they took his robe, and they thought this would be smart. What we'll do is we'll make it look like a wild animal got him. And all of you guys, you know, let's get together, guys. There's 10 of us. We need – actually, there was nine. Reuben wasn't there. We we need to keep our story straight, okay? So here's the deal. We're going to take his colorful robe. We're going to dip it in blood. Of a goat that we're gonna slaughter, and then we're gonna take it to dad and say, Is this your son's coat? So here's the word. Then they got Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to the father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. Like good acting here, right? You're gonna be pretty good. Like and all the guys are going, Yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> dad, we're <laughs> We're so shaken up by this. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jacob had deceived his father. Their dad, their father had deceived their grandfather, Isaac. And how did he do that? They took a goat and they slaughtered it. He wore the fur. And so in the same deception which he deceived his father, so they are using a goat to deceive him. Again, you've got to connect the dots. Jacob was devastated. He refused to be comforted. This was his favorite son, obviously. I just want to connect one more connection for you as we make these connections. In the book of Revelation, it is prophesied through John in one particular way that he'll come back. When he comes back he'll be wearing a robe. Revelation 19 he'll come on a white horse. His eyes will be like blazing fire and on his head will be many crowns. You will know that this is the king of kings and he will be wearing a robe dripped in blood. Make that connection again you do with it as you wish and however you choose But it is almost as if God is saying that he reverses the curse of the sinfulness of the brothers and he takes the blood upon himself so that they may be set free. It's a picture of grace. Joseph is sold in slavery to Potiphar. His brothers believe they'll never see him again. He's the ruling official of the Pharaoh, of the king. And then all of a sudden, this story just stops. It's chronological, but it stops. Joseph... Is not mentioned for a little while. We take a turn, and I was going to skip this turn. And the more I read it, I said, No, let's go down this road, because it's significant, or God wouldn't have put it here. He takes a road and he puts the spotlight onto Judah, takes it off Joseph, put it on Judah, who's the fourth born. And he does it for a reason. Now, keep in mind that a lot of barrenness, and God works with barrenness, and Sarah's womb, Abraham's wife, Sarah's womb was barren, and God did not permit her womb to open and bear a child until she was 90 years old. Isaac's wife, the son of Abraham, his wife was barren, Rebekah, for 20 years before God decided to open the womb, and the Messiah would come from one of the 12 sons, and the Messiah would be born, from a womb that is barren. All lights are on Judah. Judah has three sons. This man, this head of the tribe of Israel, has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And one of these th- sons is going to be significant for us. Now Judah married off as they did in that day, married off the oldest son, Ur. And he says, you're marrying Tamar over here. Let's make it a deal. We got a covenant. We married her off. He marries her off to Tamar. But something about... Ur was very wicked, and the scripture says that God took him away because of his wickedness. Had a second son, and back in that day, the Leviate rule, this is before the rule of Moses came, there was, a, there was this rule in place that in order to perpetuate your offspring and keep your family in line, that your brother would go and take your place as your surrogate with your, your widow, and that he would make sure that the offspring was perpetuated. And so, Onan was the next in line, the next oldest son, and he got the job, and uh, PG, he refused to impregnate her because uh, he knew it wasn't going to be his child, and so why bother And so there's the last son. His name is Shalah. The only problem with this son is he's not of age yet. So Tamar is going to have to wait. But this is really important as you wait here. Finally, Shalah becomes of age. And uh, Jacob looked at Tamar and refused to give this son to her, even though it was required by the law. He refused. Because why? Because he doesn't care. He's not mindful of God. He's not mindful of of Abraham, his grandfather, that his grandfather had this word. And he knew it. Believe me, everybody knew the promise. I assure you, they all knew that God had made this covenant, this promise with Abraham and said, and through you, you will bless many nations. Many nations will be blessed through you. So offspring was key on their mind. I'm sure they heard the stories, if not directly from their grandfather, from their father, that said that this is a big deal. That somewhere through the seed here that many nations would be blessed and, and not really maybe putting it all together, but through them would come the one one day who would be the deliverer of their people, finally. And so tomorrow. This widow for many years is waiting, waiting, and waiting, and then finally is crushed, and she gets it. She knows this has to happen. And she does something you would not expect, and I think you would probably be aghast at. It says in Genesis 38:14, for she saw that though Shalah had not grown up, that, that, although she saw that though Shalah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. She had enough of waiting, and so she took off her widow's clothes, and she dressed herself up, and she uh, pretended to be a a woman of the oldest profession. And she knew her father-in-law's weakness. We all got a weakness. She knew the weakness of Judah. And so she heard that he was going out into a certain city, And so she dressed herself as, and she put a veil over her face so uh, he would not recognize her. And she pretended to be a shrine prostitute. And knowing his weakness and that he would take the bait, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law He went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me. As collateral, he didn't have the bucks on him. He promised her, well, I'll pay you a goat, one of my goats. Here's a goat again of deception. I I don't have the money on me. And she says, well, give me your seal and give me the cord with it and give me your staff. These will mark a man, a ruler of a tribe. They'll all know who belongs to that just because of the markings on it. Well, three months goes by, and she's with child. He has no idea. He's probably done these kind of indiscretions multiple times, and she knew it, and that's how he was so easy to trap. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah, what are you going to do? Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. You hypocrite. You hypocrite. Do we think for a moment that God is going to use a man like this? He's going to be forced to face his shame at this moment. And Tamar sends him a, a package, a care package. Pregnant Tamar sends him a package. Oh, it's the cord and his seal and his staff. And she said, The owner of these is the father of the child. Can you imagine what happened in him? Talk about your stomach being in your throat. <sighs> Burning's not a good idea anymore. I think grace and mercy are come. When I read this, I, I brought to mind Jesus before the religious leaders who were saying, Stone them, stone her, stone her. And he said, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And just his very presence, they drop the stones. And that's the feeling you get here. That's the connection I make. Mercy for her. She had twins. This is the significant. She had, she had two boys, and one of them was named Perez. Now, the interesting thing is that Perez shows up in the New Testament. His name shows up. He's just a, insignificant from some deceitful act, and by a man who acted uh, inappropriately, she has a child. His name is Perez, and guess where he shows up in the New Testament? He shows up in... the lifeline of Jesus Christ. He goes through all the ancestry and in the middle, sandwiched in there, is Perez. That through this woman and through this man, God would have the seed of the Messiah. It's significant that God would use the foolish things and the deceitful things of this world, that he would take the things of this world that were maybe for us not meaningful, the things of this world that we would find hideous, and that he will use those and work them together for his purpose. Back to Joseph. By the way, I also think the, in this case, as you think about Judah and Tamar and, this, and the brothers who sell their brother out, that, that the least will be the greatest, and the lowly in God's kingdom will be the exalted ones, and the fools will rule in the end. And Joseph, Joseph, in chapter 39 of Genesis, he is taken down to Egypt, and just so you know, in the in the scriptures, when you talk about going into Egypt, it's always going to a place of death. What is Egypt best known for? Anybody have a guess? What's it best known for? Pyramids? Death. Yeah, and cloth also, definitely, Egyptian cotton, for sure. But first thing, pyramids have been there a lot longer. It's known for death. It's the symbolic of going down into death, and you'll see that. Not only in scriptures, but in extra-biblical things. So Joseph had now been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And it says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered him. He was with him, and he prospered him. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, the scripture says. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Again, come to with me. He made daily advances to him. Every day, Joseph refused. You see the difference between him and Judah? Joseph resisted when he had the ability to, and Judah didn't even think that it was meaningful to even resist his impulses. And then finally she makes her final play and he responds like this. And I want you to hear his heart because it's the heart that God is, for all you that are his, this is the heart that God has put into you. Just not be fully manifest yet. No one is greater in this house than I am, he says, the house of Potiphar. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, Potiphar's wife, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And you would say, who cares? You're a slave. What do you care? And, he, and he's acting like I'm serving him like I'm serving God. He's not thinking about his shackles. He's not living in his victimhood of his past, how unfairly treated he has been. He's not looking that, oh, this this isn't fair, and therefore I, I'm going to just do whatever I can to take advantage of this guy, because life is so unfair to me. No, he holds on. He ran from her, but when he ran, he he left something behind. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. He left behind his cloak. Isn't it something that, for the second time, his His cloak is going to be the object of deception. Then she told him this story, and you could hear this trumped up story like, hey, guys, just tell you this, a woman's scorn, she did not like being rejected. That Hebrew slave, that Hebrew slave, you brought us, you, my husband, it's your fault. He came to me to make sport of me, but, it, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. You dirty, rotten vixen. Hasn't this guy had enough? He's innocent, sold by his brothers, has done nothing wrong. And you have just heaped a prison sentence on him. And of course, immediately, as soon as Potiphar finds out, bam, he's going to the dungeon jail down below. But while in jail, it says the scripture, says God was with him and He prospered him. He was in charge of all the jail and the warden gave him reign to to be in charge, a, a trustee, you might call it, or a senior trustee. He gets two cellmates. His cellmates are interesting. One of them, both of them, worked for Potiphar, not Potiphar, for Pharaoh, the king, and and somehow they did something that. Uh, offended pharaoh you don't offend the pharaoh the king and they both landed up into this dungeonous prison and it tells us in scripture who they are one of them is the cup bearer. that's the right hand uh, daniel was that for his pharaoh he's the right hand of the king and he bears the cup the wine and tasting it the He's the one that says, let me see if someone's trying to kill you, and then does it. And if he dies, then you know they were. A high esteemed position, by the way. The other one was the chief baker. The chief baker, I'll just point out, symbolizes bread here. We have wine and bread. I don't think that is a mistake. So he, so each of those had a dream. The cupbearer had a dream. The chief baker had a dream and i would just suggest again you can take this or leave it but that this is pointing to the new covenant the wine and the bread the cupbearer and the baker they're tokens of the new covenant we just saw when we some weeks back melchizedek the lord angel himself coming to abraham and what did he bring with him he brought Wine and bread, the wine of joy and the bread of life. Each had a dream they did not understand. And so Joseph interprets the dream. And Joseph comes into them and he says, why do you look so sad today? And they said, we both had dreams, they answered, and there's no one to interpret them for us. And then Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams and maybe God will interpret it for you. The cupbearer dreamed, interpreted, and the cupbearer, he said, uh, in three days, in three days, you would be restored to the right hand of the king. You would be set free in three days. I think the three days is significant. Again, it's up to you. Joseph pleaded with the cupbearer. He said, when you're set free, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Remember me. I underlined that when I was reading this. Remember me, because we have heard that somewhere before. Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I just want to paint this picture for you. So you have Joseph, the completely innocent one, between two criminals. And on the third day, one of them will be raised to life, one of them will hang on a tree, he will be impaled on a pole one of those before they Jesus gives his last breath will say to Jesus remember me when you're in your kingdom remember me and it's interesting here that you have these exact words joseph saying remember me when you're in your kingdom the baker's dream is interpreted he tells him within 3 days you will be hung on a tree you will be re- He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put a cup in the pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in the interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He ever been forgotten? Doesn't mean God's not working. That's why he played weightmaker this morning. He never stops. He never stops. He never stops working. He He never stops. He never stops. Despite... The frail messengers, despite the imperfections, despite all the ways that we blow it, despite impulses, he never stops working. He makes a way. I just want to close with this, a couple exhortations for us that, first, that if nothing is working out in your life and you're stuck on the chaos, I will just tell you, God never stops working. You can believe that. You can take it to the bank He is positively, absolutely wanting to work through wherever you're at today and whatever your past has brought with you. He never stops. He is totally involved connecting the dots. Just as you see these dots connected from from thousands of years earlier, he connects them all the way to the future and he points and he's pointing in your life. But I would just want to take that exhortation further that you be more of a Joseph and not a Judah. Judah just lost sight of God. He lost sight of the promise that he had given his grandfather. he just lost interest and care. he gave in into his impulses and lived life his own way. He decided you know what i, I I'm doing pretty good. I got money I, I I got some fame here. I'm the head guy. look I got a staff I got a seal of my own I'm good and and uh, and he's reaping the consequences of that and yet through all of that, even so, God is going to use Judah and through his son Perez to one day send a Messiah into this world. Be more Joseph and less Judah. God has called you out, brethren. He has called you and I out, and it's not an easy to pull out of this world. When I think about God calling out, I I think about two people that Jesus met along the way. He met a, a, they call him a rich young ruler, just a, a guy that young and had a lot of bucks, He inherited probably, he was an an aristocrat, and he wanted to follow Jesus. He said, I want to follow you. I'm going to make a decision for you today. And Jesus said, great. He said, just go sell all that you got. Give it to the poor and come follow me. He opened the door to him. He just said, you just got to leave this behind because it's got your heart. It's wrapped around your heart, and it's going to keep you from following me. So just, just sell that and come. You'll get riches in heaven. And the guy went away dejected and sad. It's kind of like a Judah here. But there's another guy he comes across. I love this guy. He's one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. He's a rich guy. He's rich just like the rich young ruler. Made his money the hard way, stealing it and marking up taxes. He he was a publican, like a chief kind of tax collector guy. Everyone hated him. He was Jewish, but he wasn't liked by the Jews. And he had all the money in a big house and all of his fellow tax uh, collecting friends there he's a short little guy and Jesus is coming and he says I want him He like the rich young ruler he says I want to follow him and he climbs this tree so he could see him and Jesus knows his name he's after his heart and he sees him up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus Zacchaeus come down from there for tonight I must dine in your house Zacchaeus responds to him says my house Lord And he climbs down the tree, and he follows Jesus, and they go to the house, and he brings all of his friends and around this table opposite the rich young ruler. He says, I, I want to be in this, so everyone I've stolen from, I'm going to pay back four times as much. And Jesus has this incredible response. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Brethren, I believe that every one of us has this tugging on our heart to know that there is more that God wants of us. He is calling you and me out. We are called out people, separate and distinct from all the others in the world, and he is drawing your heart, and we need to respond to it. It's not overnight because something's just got to be dragged out of us, and so I'm going to pray for us now for that, that, that we would for me, please keep me in prayer on this same thing, that I want to be a called-out person, that nothing becomes between me and him. God, I lift up your people, us, all of us. All of us, you know the draw on us, and Lord, you know that most were not like Zacchaeus's heart that pleased you. And Father, we ask you that we would have that kind of heart, that you would do a transforming work in us, That we would be the kind of men and women and young people that you have called us to be. And so we give you our life. We want to surrender to you. and We need the power of your spirit to do what we can't do. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.